episode number 115. This is Greg Duncan. This is Martin Woodward. And Mickey Gousset. Hey, Mickey! Well, dude. Welcome back. We haven't had you for a while. Yes, I know. I'm I'm on and off at best, but I'm trying to get a little more regular. <laughs> That's kind of a personal No thing. comments, Greg. Yeah. No comments. Yes, I am in my 40s, but no comments. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm rocking. You're in your car, so your audio is going to be... That's the dedication that you're showing. You know, you had spotty internet at home, right? So you're out in the car with, like, all your gear and stuff there? Absolutely. Leeching internet from a public internet site. <laughs> nice, nice. And I'm trying out a new gig. I got a brand new microso- microphone. I, I figured, you know, if I'm going to do this podcasting for real, I maybe should uh, invest a little money in it. So I'm, I've got this, like, real true microphone thing so. and then you'll just make up that investment in volume with all the free podcasts you give away <laughs> yeah well this thing is a it, it's interesting and we'll have to we'll uh, like our stickers um when i introduce our guest here in a second uh, you know one of the things that i do with all our guests i send them radio tfs stickers so with our advertising and everything else all those funds coming in it becomes interesting I should have just brought some for him. But anyway, let's 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 introduce our guest, I guess. Certainly. Okay, our guest, the one, the only, and I had to thank um, Derek from our last interview for bringing him up and mentioning him, is Brian Keller. Yes, that Brian Keller. Brian Keller is a group program manager for Microsoft's Visual Studio Cloud Services organization, responsible for shipping and running Team Foundation Server and Team Services. Brian runs the customer success team with a mission to evangelize, facilitate, and support customers in their adoption of these technologies. Brian has been at Microsoft since 2002 and having spent most of his career in development tools. Brian Keller, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Wow, my, my bio sounds so formal when it's actually read out loud. <laughs> Gosh, who's this guy? Hey, at least he's short, Brian. That's possibly one of the shortest bios we've ever had to read. That's brilliant. So, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, next you summarized time, it well. Next time, it's just going to be like a tiny URL. So Exactly. The, the Brian Keller, yes. is what you should say. <laughs> or, or the other Brian. Yeah, that's right. The the what's, What do the Scots call themselves? The lesser Scott? I'm the lesser Brian. Yeah, that's what you should be. The lesser Brian. I like it. Yeah. So, guys, we're going to do some news items as we usually do. And, Brian, if you have any feedback, comments, quips about any of these, please feel free to, uh, uh, to bring them up. So, first of all, uh, we're talking about we as we usually do. We have a new release. June first, there was a new release uh, for VSTS, and it includes uh, a, a uh, SSH connections to Git repos, Docker integration, which I've been playing with a lot with the new Windows 10 Insider release. I got the Hyper V Docker containers running on there and everything else. So I'm like almost like a real Docker guy now, kind of, sort of. Uh, they're adding filters to the Kanban board, uh, improving the REST APIs, simple things like default iteration path for new work items. I, I used to always hate having to figure out which of my iterations I should use by default. This makes that a lot easier. From redesigning the branches pages, create and send links to specific sections of code. That is awesome. I mean, just being able to highlight the code in in the browser window, right mouse click, create link to code, and then email that to somebody say, hey, can you look at this? Those kind of little things are great. Love that stuff. That's cool. I didn't know that was coming. That's it's awesome. funny. It's funny that one as well because that's one of the ones that we, you know, um, we do this whole agile thing, and um, 
you know, you, you do your original. We, there's been public talks about how we do it, and we have these, we have these um, epics, and you know, we we have the, the you, you give kind of the vision of what you want your feature to be, and then you go and you start, you know, iterating on the feature stuff. That feature was actually in. I remember I put that in my deck. Like that's how long we've been wanting to do it, um, and it, yeah, because it was always. Um, the kind of, we've kind of had some other functionality in there, but we've always wanted to do it as a way of embedding snippets and you know pasting links around and stuff. But I'm yeah, again, just goes to show you as soon as I as soon as I leave the team, the team actually start being able to deliver on some of those things I've been wanting to do. And uh, again, they keep knocking it out of the park. And SSH is just huge as well for if, if yeah. um, for a certain category of customer, it not being there was a real blocker. If you're if you're especially if you're on Linux and you're trying to authenticate, you know, with VSTS, it could be really painful. So having SSH support um, is just huge for enabling a bunch of clients to talk to VSTS in a secure way. So um, again, one thing that was really hard to do because of you know the way that authentication works, especially through IAS, but the fact that they delivered it is just amazing. Well, you know, I- I'm going to show my ignorance here on the SSH okay. front, and and I've never I've always been a Windows guy, so I'm not really yeah. steeped in Linux or or Mac. So I, I don't I guess I don't understand what is the big deal about SSH. Could you not use Basic Auth before to achieve you that? Could, you could use Basic Auth, but the problem with Basic Auth is you're passing around a credential. Now it's over HTTPS, but it's still in like a header, and so the when you were using. Um, the way that authentication, if you wanted to securely authenticate without storing a a password, um, then the way you would do it would be you know, using like the two-factor, using the access tokens. You're basically storing something in lieu of a password um, and over basic auth. With SSH, it's using certificates to authenticate. And so you keep, you're keeping your, um, you know, it's using uh, public key infrastructure, so you, but you keep your client certificate locally, your public key locally, and you, you sorry, your private key locally, and you use your private key for authentication. So you basically um, public. you basically copy your public key to the server, and then it allows you to authenticate with the server if if um, it's been signed using your private key. Um, so kind of, well, the, but SSH is the protocol that's supported on. It's been supported forever for securing Git connections. Um, sooner than because Git can go over different transport protocols. One of them being HTTPS or SSH is the other transport protocol. And so, if you were using, um, if you're on Linux using the standard client for you're on a Raspberry Pi using the standard client, you know, using the standard Git client, and you want to you want to securely check in source code to um, a server on a VSTS server or any Git server. The only way of doing that, because two-factor authentication is not open to you, because we don't, you don't have the authentication plugins on that platform that we, you know, we have custom authenticators for Windows, so you don't have those. So the only way that's open to you to authenticate is either to use a, a, a token, which you end up. Um, having to store locally or type in a massive long string somewhere locally, um, or you can store a key securely locally, and then you don't have to type anything in. So okay. from a user so- experience point of view, it means they can securely authenticate with VSTS without having to type a really long password every time. Okay, so if I'm on Windows, I don't need this because there's other mechanisms for that. Yeah, you would use the um, to the Git with a Git credential manager right. um, on Windows, and then that would enable the two-factor authentication plugin, uh, the, the the secure authentication plugin for the command line on Windows for the STS, and it also enables two-factor auth support for GitHub. Um, so that that that's a that's a good plugin that's all open source. All right, well, for for a Linux and a Mac client. It, 
um, it makes a huge difference in terms of not having to type in loads of passwords. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, another thing I wanted to make sure we highlighted with this release, the June 1 release, this was the finishing up of Sprint 100 for the team. Now, you were talking about Agile and Agile ah. releases. Sprint 100, and they're doing three-week sprints. So this is 300 weeks they've been doing Scrum or Scrum-like development, as, as uh, Brian says. That's five and a half years. I can't believe that the team has been Agile that long. It just doesn't seem... It's actually slightly longer than that because our sprints weren't always three weeks either. Um but yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Sprint 100, Brian. I can't believe it. I know it. I remember I remember having a discussion with Jeff Beeler back when we started doing sprint numbering and we, we aligned sprint numbers. And I was like, should we be resetting sprint numbers every year? Because one of these days we're going to get up to three-digit sprint numbers. And he was like, ah, no, that's years away. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, if I'll we're be all retired st- by then. Yeah, if we're all still here by then, then we'll have bigger problems. And here we all are. <laughs> yep. The last news one I want to talk about is uh, VSTS is now in Brazil. When you are creating your account there, you can actually post your projects to locations in Brazil. So I thought that I know we have a number of listeners down there and that we have a number of ALM Rangers down there. Uh, that's their fifth geo presence. That's awesome. That's great. And what does that help? Late? I mean, what, what that, is that going to help latency or is that going to help in terms of uh, protection of data, data sovereignty, do you think? I think it's pretty much just like sanity. I'm sure it'll help for performance, but it's also, like you said, David's data sovereignty. Okay. Don't want to store your data in those crazy American uh, data centers <laughs> depending to see who they elect as president. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And this joins US, Europe, Australia, and India. Oh, might be a wall between my data and my TFS. Anyway, move on. <laughs> so, uh, Mickey, so, do you have any stories? I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Visual Studio Team Services, or VSTS, or um, as it, you know, some people know that acronym, Visual Studio Team System, if you're an old school person. However, I was digging out my uh, team, my wardrobe, so just quick, I was doing my, turning up my wardrobe uh, before I came out here the other day, and I found my old uh, Microsoft VSTS, like, polo, the black one, so yep, I was like, yes, I I, yeah, exactly, carry on. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of online services and all that, but I'm also a big fan of having TFS local because that's how I that's how I got started. So TFS uh, Team Foundation Server 2015 Update 3 release candidate is now available. Was announced a couple of days ago. It's uh, it's got a couple of new features in it and a lot of bug fixes. Some of the new features though are, are some of the things we mentioned earlier, SSH support. Uh, there's a dashboard SDK now which I'd like to play with. And it's also um, support for provisioning um, machines in Azure, Virtual Machine Manager, and VMware, which is going to be really, really cool if you're trying to build a continuous integration or continuous delivery pipeline, um, either on-prem or through or through Azure or through maybe even WAP or something like that. And there's a whole list of bugs. I'll go ahead and read all 140 for you. Hold on. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm very, I, I appreciate the fact that, that we have Visual Studio Team services online, but there is a whole class of customers and a whole class of people that just use the on-premise version. So the fact that they're still getting, you know, comparable features in the on-premise version in a relatively quick pace, I think, is a very good thing. So the RC is out. If you've got TFS on-premise, go check it out. And Greg, can we fix the audio after this to add an S at the end of every time he said premise? That's just one of premises. You should say S, Brian, and then we'll record that, and then he can do premise. He can go, S! Do it, do it. Sorry, Brian, I guess I don't get to come to dinner now. 
Yeah, cold. too bad. Well, speaking of um, RCs, we've also uh, shipped the um, Update 3 RC for Visual Studio. Um, the big thing for that, for me, was they've updated the um, the HoloLens tool. So if you're, you know, uh, if you're a HoloLens developer, then you definitely want to get the RC of Update 3 um, and go play away. And if you're, if you're a HoloLens developer, then why aren't you coming around to my house and giving me a demo? Because I really want to see that stuff. <laughs> um, and then also, if you're doing the right, the Raspberry Pi IoT stuff as well. There's some cool things in there uh, for that. And then a bunch of other things as well. Um, there's um, the Apache Cordova tools have been quite heavily updated to the latest Apache Cordova uh, runtimes. And um, there's been some good stuff around uh, solution analysis for um, C Sharp and VB. But around the, if you're a managed, um, if you're a C++ developer, sorry, uh, then there's also been quite a, a large set of updates around the, the C++ stuff. So yeah, take a look at um, uh, the RC of Update 3 and it RC means, as we all know, um, RC means that the update three shouldn't be far along now. So this is getting excited. Sweet. Hey, Brian, so, do you know, is there, uh, is there go live support on the RCs then? What's the story? Uh, you know, there typically is. I don't know for this particular one, though. We should follow up on that. Cool. We'll put that so, in the show notes. There you go. Going along with my whole Visual Studio team services, um, there's actually been, interestingly enough, a larger and larger community that's starting to seem to spring up around Visual Studio Team Services. I don't know if it's because we've changed the name back to VSTS or, or what it could be, but but there is. And Brian Harry's got a post out on his on his blog where he's talking about the fact that there's a bunch of meetups that are starting to take place all, all around the world. You're starting to see more people interact on Stack Overflow and Quora, things like that. And they're also starting a new blog series called Inside Visual Studio Team Services, where they're talking to different members of the engineering team and the marketing team, hopefully more of the engineering team, that will discuss you know, <laughs> how the product is built and how they use it every day and some tips and tricks and things like that. And he's got two or three videos out there already. I, I will admit I have not watched these yet, but I'm very, being a community person myself, as that's how I got started in all of this 12 years ago, this is um, very exciting to me to start seeing a, a larger community starting to, to become more active around VSTS. Oh, there's always been that community there, though, I think. But no, it's great to see all the stuff that's coming out. So this is cool. So go check it out. Definitely. Oh, hey, cool. um, check, uh, the things to check out. Um, did you see, okay. I'm busy this, this morning, one of the things we was up to, um, we uh, we welcomed Cake into the .NET Foundation, just a personal plug, which I was quite excited about. <laughs> so Cake's this um, uh, build automation uh, uh, DSL, which uh, you, listeners of the show might be interested in. So it's C Sharp, and if you're wanting mm-hmm. to stick together an, a build automation process, then it helps you do that. And um, you know, so execute MS Build for compilation, obviously, but then call your test runner and call Wix, call Octopus Deploy. You know, um, and so if you want to write, if you want to orchestrate your build using C Sharp, then the Cake project something you might want to look at, and it's all .NET Core compatible. You know, works cross platform. And then uh, join the .NET Foundation this very morning. About um, gosh, I've been up that long. About uh, about eight hours earlier to recording this podcast. So there we go. Now, Martin, why would people use Cake versus MS Build? MS Build's now open. Yeah, MS Build's open source, but so uh, it's if you want to write your build, so it's it's basically. MS Build is good for like compiling and things and doing all the, you know, doing what you do around like pressing F5 and Visual Studio, making sure all that happens. Um, this would be the equivalent of, you know, writing your build script in Team Build, where you have the drag and drop stuff now in the new Team Build and you can, um, you know, put 
Uh, oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that orchestration yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. and all those the, other things. Exactly. Got it. This is a C-sharp version of one of them. Now, you uh-huh. can just call this from Team Build as well if you want to. But um, quite often, um, I, I collect build orchestration languages. Like, you know, I'm a bit of a connoisseur of them. Uh, and I, I, don't, I never had any fear of these. But I've worked mm-hmm. in a lot of teams where I'm the only person that has no fear of these. And so all the maintenance of the build ends up like being closeted in sort of one or two individuals heads kind of thing and the goal of this project and it's time time will tell if it's successful or not and if it gets much take up but um the goal of this community project is to hey if we have it in c sharp is that better for the whole team to be able to edit their build orchestration because it's in a language that are all coding their project in um, and it also allows you to use Visual Studio. It allows you to use all the code diffing tools mm-hmm. so that when you are doing, you know, when you're checking changes between versions, you can just look at that as a normal change like you would anything else. So it's an interesting experiment. Um, and so that's why we kind of brought it into the foundation because it's cross-platform. Uh, the, you know, it's all community-driven. It's not, it's not come from Microsoft. It's come from the community. Um, but it's just really interesting and a, an interesting, innovative idea that I'm, I'm fascinated by to see if people find it useful and it's, it's there's already enough stuff there that it's already useful to for most people so give it a try see see what you think let me know awesome so i usually don't highlight um uh, commercial things uh, but this time i did we don't talk about o'reilly very much on the show and i saw this from a couple of our alm rangers michael devries renee marcel, ben, anyway, carry on. marcel. yeah there you go yeah I'm really working on this name pronunciation thing, guys. I tell you, I, I really am working at it. And one of these days, I'll actually be able to pronounce names. But um, they just released a $120 video series continuous delivery with the Windows Stack Engineering for ongoing deployment with Azure, Windows, and Visual Studio. And you can watch the first part of it free. So the first uh, looks like 20 minutes, 15 minutes of it. You can see for free so to find out whether you want to do more of it. But uh, I, I thought that was kind of cool, you know, with the whole Windows stack. So um, I Riley have been doing more of these videos recently as well. Ed Thompson, who we've, we've never spoke to on the show, but he um, mm-hmm. used to work on the team and now works over at GitHub. But he did helped out a lot of the Visual Studio um, Git stuff. And um, he um, has done an O'Reilly video as well about using Git in Visual Studio. So, yeah, we've been doing some interesting stuff lately. Nice. And then it's, it's, it's seven and a half hours. Yeah, the proper courses, content. you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Marcel's one of the smartest people I've ever met. So sure that's, that's something. So, I, and I Rene, Rene's probably this, you know, also up there with Marcel. <laughs> yes, but. he is. So I want to talk about a, another friend of mine that's been an MVP, MVP friend of mine for years, which is Ben Day. Mm-hmm. So I will say this. If you go to his website, benday.com, and you can find it, he's actually an accomplished pianist, and he actually has m- music located somewhere on his website of him playing piano, but it's mm-hmm. hidden. So... There, there's your, there's your, your task if you choose to accept it. But what I really want to talk about—he's a completely self-taught jazz pianist. He, you know, he like doesn't have formal yep. lessons. He just picked it up himself because he's like that smart. That's so but annoying. Amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> but I digress because what I really want to mention is he's got a post out there talking about how to handle passwords when 
in Visual Studio and Team Foundation Server with your releases and your builds. So with TFS and with VSTS, you know, we have this whole DevOps release pipeline, which I bet we'll get Brian Keller to tell us a little more about. Um, <laughs> and we also can do team builds and things like that. And, and as part of those, you're going to need to add in probably user IDs and passwords. And one of the ways you're supposed to do, deal with the user IDs and passwords, the best way is there are configuration variables that you can create to handle that information. However, you'll notice that if you start using those configuration variables initially and you put your password in there, it's, you know, right there where everybody can see it. Unless and, you used SSH, of course, then you would need to check in well, passwords. But anyway, well, there we go. Move on. Fair enough. <laughs> but obviously that can be a, a red flag and a problem for some people. But apparently there is a section, a little area there on the configuration tab where you can just click the little lock icon and now you can encrypt your password. Huh. So, you know, go make sure you, you're you're taking the appropriate precautions to keep yourself secure. But I never knew about article. that. What a great tip. That's awesome. He's, he's got a great article on it. I'd recommend you go read it and then hack around his website till you find his music. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now. The whole time you're talking, I'm like, where is this thing? All right. So it's ALM Ranger time of the show. And, you know, just a few months ago, back in March, we had Brian Harry on for the 10th anniversary or the 10th birthday of TFS. Today or earlier this week, uh, Willie P announced the 10th anniversary for the ALM Rangers. Wow. So just look at that. You know, they did not, they can't, they have been on scene for nearly the entire life, just a few months shy of TFS. Uh, I got to congratulate these guys. 10 years of filling gaps with awareness, guidance, and tooling. <laughs> and the list of the contributors. Uh, yeah, I'll read all 140 of them. Uh, yeah, no. But uh, I, I just got to say, thank you, Rangers. Having also been in this area, for oh god nearly that long if not longer uh your work has been instrumental to making me a success and helping me solve a lot of problems so uh, thank you rangers and thank you for all the things that you guys have done should we should we do a quick round of our favorite ranger projects over the years yeah yeah i, I my, my personal favorite i i love the branching emerging guidance it's gone yep. through multiple iterations yep. there's various tooling that michael learned and crew have worked on and i think that one's a, a critical must-have for anyone that's trying to figure out their branching strategy that's going to be yeah. mine too that would have been that's uh, that is something that's been my go-to document and information for years same here same here that's definitely mine so the bpa what happened to the bpa brian because that's gone now uh, but that used to be uh, that was kind of ranger driven initially and then it was support and stuff power tool oh you're gonna quiz me today aren't you uh, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we will follow up in the show notes for <laughs> information on that. I, I, I don't know. I think I, my understanding is that CSS, uh, so customer support, still uses that if you give them a call, um, but that we don't maintain it in some in kind of a public variant. Uh, and I really don't understand the backstory. So. No, I was just, yeah, because I, I had an email query from someone. And I was like, oh, go run the BPA and it will tell you. And I was like, oh, well, we don't ship the BPA anymore. I was like, I wonder why that happened. But anyway, that's good to know. So, uh, cool. All righty. So enough of the news. Let's, let's, let's actually talk with Brian. We had him on the show. We suckered him into attending. We didn't tell him it was going to be quiz time. So we'd get those natural uh, responses. Brian, most importantly, how's the family? Oh, the family's great. Thanks for asking. Uh, I, we've got a little one that's uh, two and a half years old named Paxton, who's just curious as can be. And uh, we've got another one on the way, shipping in uh, August timeframe. Nice. Yeah, another little boy. So, yeah, everybody's great. Elisa looks like a house, and she's the first one to tell you that. No, that's, that's, those are her words, not mine. Uh, she's just, uh, you know, she's usually pretty pretty small. And so the fact that she's got this belly that's out to here is just uh, uh, just kind of a curiosity but uh but no she's doing great 
Thanks for asking. Awesome, awesome. I'd also like to point out, by the way, that I am now on. I am talking with all members of one of my original writing teams, who are some of the best people to write with, which is Martin Woodward and Brian Keller, even though they abandoned <laughs> me on my last book. Um, <laughs> yep, <laughs> and I, I, that's a decision I have never regret. I have never regretted. I have what, I, what I always say is that if you meet someone who's written a book, chances are they probably know what they're talking about. If you meet someone who's written more than one book, they obviously cannot take a hint and they should uh, <laughs> not be an expert anymore. So take that for what it's worth. I think I've done three of them now. Awesome. Well, yeah, but you've got, have you not got six to your name or something? Or did you not do the TFS one? Was that- I think I participated in a chapter or two. I, I can't, I can't even keep it straight. Yeah. Hey, but we have the book that got translated into, um, it was Czechoslovakian into, or something Czechoslovakian, like that. Because I, I was in the Czech Republic uh, earlier this year. And then I was looking around at the alphabet. I was like, oh, this is what language my book was translated into. I'd, I'd never knew until that point. So that's awesome. Nice. So, yeah. Sorry, Greg, I didn't mean to digress. Please continue. No, no. It's, you know. <laughs> um, is there a new book? Anybody working on a new book? Did you see your, no. your no. <laughs> no. As far as I, I, I have not been approached yet about writing a new book, and I'm kind of hoping that it stays quiet for a while. Part, part of the challenge with books these days is that, you know, by the time you start, everything's already out of date. You know, there's always new features that are shipping. And it used to be that you could kind of expect that you would have a solid year or so to work on a book that relates to a specific release of software that's going to be coming out. And then you would have another year or two in market for that book. But nowadays, how do you write a book on something when product teams are shipping, you know, every three weeks? Exactly. I mean, specifically, let me look at Azure for that matter. You can't, I mean, it's changing constantly. There'd be no way to write a book book around that and keep it current. But, Brian, what have you been up to? Wait, uh, hey, no, wait, Greg, I'm saying what you're supposed to say, what? but it's too late. No, Brian, no. what have you been up Got to it. since our last show? You were on our show last on show number 46, which wow. was July 26th of 2012. Wow. wow. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. So the last time we talked, I, I would have been uh, the evangelist for uh, Team Foundation Server and whatever the name of Team Services was at the time, Team Foundation Service, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, that job had me traveling around the world a lot, speaking at conferences, getting to meet a lot of customers around the globe. And uh, then, as we already mentioned, I, I had a son and uh, wanted to not live my life out of suitcases any longer. And uh, as luck would have it, about two years ago, Microsoft ourselves um, undertook what we're calling the One Engineering System effort, which is all about getting teams at Microsoft to start using Visual Studio Team Services. And so I was able to um, kind of uh, nudge my way into the door and and uh, talk to some folks here, Brian Brian Harry and and uh, his team, and and uh, kind of create a role for myself where. Um, my team is evangelizing and consulting and supporting Visual Studio Team Services internally. So I'm doing a lot of the same, but not having to get on um, airplanes quite so frequently to uh, to go visit my customers because most of my customers are in Redmond. And how is that working out? Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, um, we have over 50,000 people at Microsoft who are using Visual Studio Team Services on a monthly basis. And uh, to give you an idea of the rate of growth, that's going up every month by about 8 to 10%. So that's a doubling rate of less than 10 months, I think. So obviously, we're, we're not going to continue to double at that rate forever. But, um, but it's, been, it's been really great seeing the, uh, the uptake across the company. 
Um, you know, the number one most used feature is work item tracking, followed closely by by source control. Um, part of the reason for that is that some of the larger code bases like Windows and Bing, um, it's taking us some time to figure out how to quite move those over into um, Git as a source control provider. So that's something that we're making a lot of progress on. But once we have those uh, foundations laid, then you'll see a, a much larger uptick in the number of developers that are using Git against Visual Studio Team Services. Uh, but work item tracking tends to be something that's a little easier to adopt. And so we have virtually the entire company that needs a work item tracking solution is using um, either Visual Studio Team Services or Team Foundation Server. And the number on Team Foundation Server has continued to go down as people move to the cloud. And things like the, um, you know, now that you can customize things a lot easier in the cloud version and you can, in VSTS, and you can, you know, the Kanban board, how simple they are. They they, they were, you know, hugely influenced by internal demand, I think that's fair to say. And it's made a big difference to, to see the take up on those services now that we have those features, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. We do a ton of dog fooding internally and, um, you know, just about any feature that we ship before it makes its way out to the the public rings will come first to our own team's ring. So the team under Brian Harry that builds Visual Studio Team Services. So we're, we're using that in our Canary instance and then followed closely behind that are features that go to the rest of the company, whether that's Windows or Office or Skype or you name it. And so we're getting a lot of feedback internally and trying to, to learn from our bugs and our mistakes or our design refinements um, from from our internal audience and, and allowing us to pay that tax before we ship code that's not quite baked to our external customers. So that's that's what my team spends quite a quite a bit of time on is helping to um, influence the design of the product based on that early incremental feedback that we're getting from those internal teams. And, uh, you know, occasionally dealing with dealing with bugs that uh, that show up in those early iterations um, and trying to make sure that we close those bugs before they make their way out to the public rings. So, Brian, you, so Windows, the source code for Windows, or at least big parts of it, are going into VSTS uh, into a Git repo? They will be, yes. Um, Windows themselves, kind of the core of the Windows source code is not yet in Visual Studio mm-hmm. Team Services. Um, you know, as you can imagine, it's a monstrous code base. And um, some of the dynamics of Git are that when you clone a repo, you are getting the entire repo, including all of the history and all of the files, unlike Team Foundation version control, where you can say, I just need this particular folder so that I can make some edits to the start menu or whatever. Um, and so in order to make that work with Git, we're, we're undergoing some um, architectural changes. We're working closely with the Git community to try and make sure that um, some of the some of the the original expectations around how Git works can be adapted for that type of uh, very large scalable system. And um, I'm not quite sure how much of that I can share just yet because some of it's undergoing a lot of uh, various incarnations and experiments and prototypes. And I I don't think we're ready to get into all the details just yet. I'm sure Martin is familiar with what I'm talking about, but, um, but yeah, if you, if you, if you take a look at, you know, the regular code across the company that, that isn't in these, you know, huge repositories today, um, you know, we have, 
lots of Microsoft products and services that are that are being tracked in Git repos today. I think Azure uh, is entirely in Git today. They have close to 2,000 repos, and they've had to engineer wow. ways in which they can make it easy, for example, if you're a service bus developer to go clone all of the repos that have to do with service bus and lay those out on disk in a way that's, you know, organized so that your projects build and compile. Um, so, so yeah, it's, we're, we're all in. It's, um, it's been an exciting journey. I just did some quick math there, Brian, looking at, um, looking at Satch's reports in the org chart. And we have around about um, uh, 70% of the engineers in the company are in VSTS. So, yeah, that crazy. sounds about right. Yeah. And uh, from a personal side of it, you're talking about work item tracking being the first one. The, the Channel 9 team, you know, that I moonlight for, they recently started managing their tickets and their customer interaction via VSTS. So they've got a, you know, new project out there and, and, you know, I've set up, uh, uh, notifications and emails and all the other stuff goes through there. So yeah, that was, it, it's interesting on how that work I'm tracking does seem to be so much easier just to grok and to get and to make use of. My whole life is organizing Kanban boards now. <laughs> like the, the .NET Conf project uh, was, .NET Conf was organized in VSTS as a Kanban board. And, you know, and there's a few other things like that that just, yeah, it's just awesome. So um, I last saw you, I was there. I, I saw your, your speak, but we, we couldn't hook up. Uh, you were at Build 2016 doing a DevOps at scale, a true story. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Lori Lampkin, who's who's uh, my manager, she runs the the PM organization here within VSTS. Uh, she and I partnered on this talk, and and it's really uh, I have to give credit to all the people before us that gave various incarnations of this talk, whether it's Aaron Bjork or Justin Marks or guys like Buck Hodges who added a lot of the the DevOps content. Um, Sam Guggenheimer, of course. We we kind of assembled from a bunch of different sources, the material for this presentation. And then what I layered on top of it this time was um, a set of demos that that really kind of reinforce what we're talking about from the slide deck in terms of patterns and practices. And um, so we showed everything from how we use work item tracking internally to kind of manage features and, um, you know, talked a lot about this balance between alignment and autonomy. Um, you know, as you think about scaling agile, you need to maintain some alignment and consistency across teams, but there needs to be this recognition that if you force everybody to align and do everything exactly the same way, then you're not really being autonomous across those individual teams. I mean, the way that the Windows kernel team operates is very differently than the way that the team that manages, I don't know, the, the calculator app needs to operate. And so you need to allow those teams some some autonomy and some flexibility. And and that's one sort of chapter of this conversation. And then another chapter is, okay, uh, how do you actually develop? Well, you know, I showed some demos about how we use Git and we use pull requests and we use branch policies in Git to kind of maintain um, the gated quality as you move from a feature branch or a topic branch back into main. And what are some of the, the, the checkpoints you go through with respect to code reviewers and automated tests? And, uh, and then finally, on the deployment side, I uh, got to show a look at how we use things like feature flags, um, which you can kind of think of as a registry, uh, like the Windows registry for your service where you can easily go in and flip features on and off and uh, um, did a live demo of, of how we use that in production to turn features on and off and, and have an instant effect on, on the way in which code is running in production so that you can flight features 
get some telemetry, find out whether or not things are working, and then pull them back if you need to without going through a, a full deployment of the binaries. Wait, you did a live demo of feature flag enablement in the in the talk? I did. I did a live demo. I, it was <laughs> one of these things that I'm like, well, maybe people are interested in this. And I, I got a spontaneous applause for this, which I wasn't really expecting. But uh, I guess, you know, if, if if these are the types of things that, that I guess on our team we start to take for granted because yeah. it's been so critical to everything that we do. Um, but uh, it's one so of these best the practices. On the public website during on, the for, for my own VSTS account. Yes, uh, I did. Yeah, so so it, those could be scoped, and I made a, I made a joke, you know, five dollars a feature if people want to enable things in their own account after the talk. You know, nobody took me up on that, but uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's one of those things that um, it's really core to running a service in a DevOps fashion, and uh, we had to build this framework ourselves from scratch. Um, not that we're the ones that you know are should be credited with coming up with the original thinking around the idea of feature flagging. But in order to, to make it work in our service, we had to build that infrastructure ourselves. And uh, nowadays, you can use a partner like LaunchDarkly, who provides this as a service that you could just build into your own website or other services. And uh, I, I have to say, I think their infrastructure is probably even better than the one that we've been developing over several years. But ours is just for us. So, you know, Cobbler's Kid gets no shoes. <laughs> and it's funny having lots of things like that. Like when we started out running the service, there was no app insights either. So we had to build all that telemetry ourselves and then it becomes a product, you know, and things like that. It's it's fascinating the way it's changed since since the last time you were on the show. Oh yeah, definitely. And probably will change by the next time if I get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> so is, are you gonna I noticed that this same title session is going to be at Ignite. Are you giving that one? Or? I'm not, uh, but uh, Dan Hellum is on my team, and he is giving the session along with Matt Manella, who is a dev lead on um, the work item tracking engineering team. And so just as we iterated on this version of the talk, I know that Dan and Matt are already iterating on that version of the talk, and so it'll be even better. <laughs> It's uh, around about the, the the ship time of other products you're working on right now as well, I guess. So. Oh, are you talking about my next son coming out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why I won't be at Ignite, but uh, Dan will do a great job. And Matt, definitely. Anybody else going to Ignite? I will be at Ignite. Yay! Martin? No. I don't think so. Nah. I don't think I've been invited. I should have a look. <laughs> if it, I tend to get, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not aware, but I tend to get. We tend to get drafted in at the last minute. It depends. You know, they'll put the talk titles on and then assign the person to it a little bit later on. So I might turn up. Nice, nice. So listeners, if you guys go to Ignite, make sure you look up Mickey. He said he's going to be there. He's going to have Radio TFS stickers. Tell me you heard about send... us on Radio TFS, and I'll give you a sticker. That's right, because I'm going to send him like 50 stickers. So he'll have a lot to hand out. Uh, Mickey. Pre-show, you were saying you're going to be at another conference coming up soon? Yes, I'm going to be at DockerCon in a week and a half. So DockerCon being held up in Seattle, J- June 19th through the 21st or somewhere around there. So I will be I will be there. So come find me. I'll actually be helping out a lot in, in the hands-on lab area. So come find me sit and say hello. I won't have stickers for you, but I still would like to meet you. <laughs> so I, I have to, getting back to the show, getting back to Brian, I, DevOps. You know, it's been the shiny. Everybody's been talking about it, but I, and I opened this up to everybody. I can't, having been in a line of business developer for forever, the silos between development and quote unquote IT have always been you know, strongly walled. There's always been a, a friction and a cultural difference between the, the two groups. Uh, the good old days. Yeah. I mean, and I still see it 
you know, today, th- th- that kind of just instinctual behavior. And, it, it, you know, the devs want to do the new stuff, the shiny stuff. The IT guys just want to keep the green lights green and, and, and keep the business going. So they're kind of like at opposing ends. But how, how do you break down those? Is, is, is DevOps real? Are real people in real businesses really changing the culture and making a DevOps kind of thing really work? I, I think so. You know, I, I, I will say that if you listen to some practitioners of DevOps, there there is a lot of religion and rigidness around ideas like, well, your ops team or your ops team members have to sit and be embedded with the development teams. And, uh, and I get that. I understand that you know, for, for some teams or for some features even, it makes a lot of sense to really have the dev and the ops person working hand in glove. Um, I, I would say that that on Visual Studio Team Services, we do have still a separate role definition for somebody who is reporting up through the ops team who sits in one end of the building and then the dev teams who sit in another end of the building. And so, some people might look at that and say, well, you're not really practicing DevOps because they're not on the same feature team. Um, but the reality is that I, I think by the time you get to a, a, a service that's of the scale that Visual Studio Team Services is that has, gosh, close to 500 engineers on it, including operations, um, you kind of have to have those centers of expertise. But the important thing at the end of the day is that there's strong collaboration. And so I am, you know, once or twice a day walking down to the ops team team room and having discussions with them about things that we're seeing in certain customer accounts. Um, if we have a live site incident, everyone knows that it's their job to join the bridge and everyone has um, something to contribute, whether they're someone from ops who's scanning the telemetry and reporting that back into the development team or somebody from the development team that's saying, here's the things that we recently enabled in this account or this scale unit that might be uh, might be happening. And so, um, so yeah, I think to sum up what I'm saying, I, I think it's kind of like Agile, where in the beginning, everyone sort of thought, okay, in order to practice Agile, you must be doing, whether it's paired programming or, you know, stand-ups or what have you. And the reality is that everyone kind of does their own flavor of Agile that makes sense for them. And I think DevOps is probably on a similar spectrum, but I would be curious to hear what you guys think. I I would love to have an IT guy co-located with our team. That has always been a dream a fantasy of mine to to help break because I hate the breaking down. I, I hate the silos. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. it just makes life horrible for like everybody on both sides of it. Uh, having you know, we, we do Scrum. I, I'm a, I'm the accidental Scrum master now, and uh, you know we do Scrum enough. We don't do Scrum Bud or Scrum Butt Butt. But we do Scrum enough, and we're not religious about it. Uh, we would probably do DevOps the same way. We do DevOps enough, and just thinking about having that, building that relationship, because that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? It's, it's to break, to change the culture. You, you have to connect with the people. Well, so about people. One of the things I was going to say is that um, DevOps is, uh, you know, it's a bit like where a developer and operations merge, just like a hedgehog emerges with a juggernaut um, at times. But it can be when it happens and it happens right. It, it just is really powerful. The first time I experienced it was on the Coplex team and just being being one team that looked after the live site and the changes 
that that gives you both in terms of how things are done operationally, you know, but all, but more importantly, how you end up developing things. You you end up building features for um, supportability. You end up building features for you know all the stuff that the ops guys were moaning about, but these developers don't understand. It's because they don't understand because they've never had to face right. the pain. But in the end, it works out best for customers because you fo- you end up focusing on the flow of value to your end users because that's because you now as a team are entirely focused on 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 that how do we get these features how do we build a feature flag system so that we can get features to customers so we don't have to switch the site off and on you know it's just yeah a lot less silos it's always the way i got nothing to add y'all covered it <laughs> <laughs> but to, to, to sum up so devops is real it's a real thing and it can happen it's not some idea some pie in the sky thing you guys have seen it you've lived it it's real right oh absolutely i mean there's plenty of case studies out there whether you look at uh companies like facebook or google or um you know a lot of people that i think practice devops much better than 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 we do i mean i'll I'll be the first to admit the vsts team we're on a journey and i think we've got a lot of things that um that we're doing well and we've been doing for a few years but there's still more that that we're learning every day about how to how to improve in this area and how to add in the right telemetry so that an issue that we maybe got bit by you know yesterday is something that we can proactively detect the next day and how do you not only add that telemetry reactively, but make sure that you're building the muscle so that in the future, when you're shipping that next feature, you know that, well, gosh, we need to make sure that we have this type of telemetry or this type of redundancy built in the, into the system so that if something happens on that feature the way that it happened yesterday, uh, we're not going to get burned. And um, and yeah, I think, you know, there's 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 nobody that's doing it perfectly and probably never will, but we can all sort of learn from each other. And, you know, that, I think that's the point. That's the selling point that I was actually looking for on it. It's a two-way street. It's not just bringing the IT guy and sitting them down with you, but it's helping them do their job, that adding that telemetry, building in those features for them that they've always been asked for. That's how you sell it to them. Well, interestingly, you're using the word them as well, which is, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, is there a different species? It really is like, how do we get the features out to the service the most reliably and the quickest way possible and it's being one team focused on that goal and yeah it it, you you know you do begin by people bringing in people with expertise in this area into the team but it's the ops guys see it as finally we've got the developers helping us run the site you know um the them guy those developers are actually finally worried about making sure the site stays up making sure we don't have any downtime um and all those sorts of things so yeah you, you're just breaking down the them got it got it uh, so we're coming towards the end but we can't have brian on without talking about the bkvm <laughs> that is uh yeah i don't think i'm ever going to shake that you, you guys know i don't actually make that thing anymore that that um that was my old job and uh there's a guy named uh sachin over in the marketing team who's taken this over and um, sachin builds the vm now i knew it was important but that's amazing <laughs> yeah he does yes <laughs> not satya not satya oh uh, okay okay yeah he's still learning we uh we don't quite trust him yet but no sachin <laughs> SA. Oh, okay. Sorry. Got you. Yeah. So if you use my old virtual machine load and, uh, 
hyperlinks, the short links that are in the show notes. Uh, they'll they'll take you to the page that's maintained by him now, and uh, he's doing a great job. You know, it was, uh, it was sort of my baby in the beginning. I was a little reluctant, of course, uh, in the beginning to sort of hand that thing off and trust that everything was going to land well. But I think he's doing a great job. He's taking a look at, um, you know, how do we make it bigger and better and add more labs and uh, making sure that it's always kept up to date on the MSDN virtual labs infrastructure. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm quite pleased with how that's gone. Well, as a fan of the of the of your virtual machines, having used them for years and years, and having used the new ones that that Sachin's putting off as well, that is a great um, thing that y'all provide to us in the in the developer community and the IT pro community to be able to learn this stuff and pick this up up much much faster than we could before. So the next thing I want is to be able to just spin those all the way up in Azure and run with it from there. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. That's the number one request. Um, the, the challenge with that is that VMs that go into the Azure gallery, they have to be sysprepped. And the process of sysprepping, as I'm sure you know, means that um, you are uh, going to break TFS and you're going to break SQL Server and all the, all the things that make up that virtual machine. So there's nothing preventing you from taking a copy of the v- VHD and uploading that into your own Azure account and um, and spinning that up as a new virtual machine. But we can't make that a virtual image uh, without breaking TFS. And if you do decide that you're going to upload it to your own Azure account, then we recommend that you go through the steps of uh, changing the passwords as well. Because the last thing I want to see happen is that <laughs> people are guessing that there's a BKVM running out there somewhere. See, now you guys have me using the acronym. Uh, <laughs> and then the password's the same on all of them and now you've got a bunch of bitcoin mining operations going so um so just be warned but yes you certainly can upload it into azure and, and it's something i've done in the past and continue to do excellent Thank is, you for the, is the clock still set is the clock still disabled on that vm when it's out in azure and stuff you know is it still like it used to be no, the latest version of the so the, so for people that are maybe new to this, the reason that we had disabled the clock and set it back in time was that all of the agile labs um, actually expected that you're joining the sprint in the second week on the on day three or something like that, right? And in order to make sure that that lab could be completed consistently, you need to make sure that the date is frozen in time. Um, the approach and and that's that's fine if you're just doing the agile lab, but the problem is that if you try to then go do other things like upgrade the virtual machine or download the latest Windows updates, then you find yourself in this time warp situation and things start to start to break down. Um, so my understanding is that the way that Sachin has uh, redone the latest version of the virtual machine is that it boots to the current date and time. And then if you want to run the Agile Labs, you would run a file that would rewind it back to um, you know a date in the past. But that unless you're going to go through those uh, Agile Labs everything just sort of works as you would expect it to because it, it does confuse quite a few people. Cool. Hey, well, anyway, sorry we're keeping you, Brian. This has been a, a fascinating show, but I guess it's time to, to wrap up, is it, Greg? Yep, it sure is. We'll have some links to how you can uh, do all of these things that we've talked about in the show, uh, including Brian's Twitter account, Brian K-E-L. I want to do it. Make sure we do a shout out to Josh Garverick. You gave me a hard time last show that I didn't mention your tweet. We had talked about in episode 112 about uh, Azure Functions and Amazon Labadas. So, uh, Josh, yes, thank you for your Amazon Labadas, the forbidden functions nice. <laughs> tweet. Hey, can I can I do a quick personal shout out as well, just as we're wrapping up? I just wanted to give, oh. give a thank. Um, and, you know, a longtime sponsor of the show, SaaS Made Easy, um, have got out of the business of TFS hosting lately. 
and they're um, moving their they're talking working with their customers to move over um, if you've got TFS hosting um, to uh, um, uh, Practic hosting do TFS hosting and sorting services and um, they actually um, I used to have my blog over with um, SAS Made Easy uh, the blog server and those guys um, helped me get that back up and running and, and switched on and allowed me to migrate some content over so uh, just a, a thanks to um, Alan uh, Domitrescu and Daniel Kostman um, for helping out with that that was much appreciated otherwise all that TFS advice that was on my <laughs> blog which still gets referred to and Brian the build bunny would have disappeared so yeah that's brilliant well ladies and gentlemen Brian uh, thank you for being on the show we really appreciate thank it thank you guys always a pleasure awesome and if you guys want to send us an email radiotfs at outlook.com at twitter at radiotfs we're on facebook at slash radiotfs and remember send us a voicemail if it's safe for work we'll play it it'll be your moment of fame one four two five two three three eight three seven nine and thank you for listening to radio tfs 